That's why they call me Pastor Mike. And uh, I have a, a few jokes to get going. And uh, before we get into the sermon, as per usual, I have uh, some pretty terrible, wonderful jokes to share with you. So this is for the, the dog lovers in the crowd. Why do dogs float in water? Because they're good boys. What is the secret for staying down to earth? Gravity. <laughs> and here, here's a, a real puzzling one. What's blue and not heavy? Light blue. <laughs> oh, man. What a wonderful day for a drive-in service. It is so great to have the sun shining. A little bit different than last week. And, man, those guys were hardcore up here on stage. I was so proud of them. And I just want to thank every one of the volunteers. Wade kind of beat me to the punch in thanking all the volunteers. But I want to thank all the volunteers for the last month that have helped to make these drive-in services happening. Because, uh, and also I want to thank the Lord because, man, th when have we had five consistent weeks where we could actually do this? When you get five weeks in a year straight where you can have church outside. And we did it. So if you could join me in thanking again all the volunteers for all the different work that they've did. We have amazing volunteers here. Thank you to each and every one of the volunteers. So people serving because they want to see the kingdom of God advanced is how we will make an eternal impact in this community. Did you know that actually that last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday? Was anyone aware of that? Show of horns. Show of horns if you knew last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. Okay, there's a few. Okay, good, good. And, and that uh, the Pentecost Sunday is actually traditionally celebrated the birth of the Christian church. So this month I got to celebrate my birthday, and we also got to celebrate the birthday of the church. But uh, I couldn't find 2,000 candles, so we didn't do a cake for the church. You know what is really exciting, though, is, is what kick-started the birth of the church. What kick-started the birth of the church is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a group of people that were gathered together that were waiting on something, that were expecting something, maybe just like we are here right now. But because we want to hear from God and because we want to be used by God, let's open up this sermon in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that your word is hidden in our hearts. And Lord, as we open up your word today, would you show us the different scriptures and the different uh, things that you want us to be paying attention to, the things that you want us to be more. And, and Lord, that, that you want us to bring more in this community and in our lives, that you want us to have more evidence in our lives. Father, I know that there is more in your word for us, and I believe that part of that we're going to be looking at today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've titled my sermon today, The Tale of Two Days. The Tale of Two Days. So on that day of Pentecost, some 2,000 years ago, 
let's take a look at the text of what actually happened that day. And that text is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So we're just going to read the first verse. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. So that's the first they in the tale of two days. They is the disciples and the apostles that were together in that one place. Okay? Uh, we don't know many of the circumstances, actually, that, that happen in this text because it's, it's kind of more focused on what happens later. We don't have many details about the group. And let me tell you what I mean because I, I made a few assumptions coming into studying this today and many other times, or sorry, this last week and many of the other times that I've read this text, I've assumed things about this text. So first, I assumed that there were 120 people there. But that's not true. That's not necessarily true. That number 120 is actually from chapter 1. That's from chapter 1, when uh, they were looking for another apostle, and they, they figured out it was Matthias that was supposed to be the 12th apostle. That number is from chapter 1, not chapter 2 that we're in right now. Also, I had assumed that they were in the upper room. But again, that information is from chapter 1, not chapter 2 that we're in right now. So chapter 1 talks about 120 people being in an upper room when Matthias was chosen as the 12th apostle. We're in chapter 2, and it just says they're in a place. They're, just, they're in a place. They're in a house together. They were together in one place. So here's what the scripture actually says in chapter 2. Let's take a look at what it actually says um, in verse 2, it says that they are staying. They are staying. Now, w- what is staying? Like, you guys are staying in your cars. Most of you are. Um, there, there's no mention. Oh, sorry, my third assumption. I missed my third assumption. I had assumed that uh, in this togetherness, that they were having a church service, kind of like we are. There'd be singing, there'd be teaching, there'd be communion and fellowship and, and praying and all sorts of church-type things, right? But no, again, the text says they were staying. They were staying, okay? So there's no mention of sitting Sorry, there's no mention of singing, there's no mention of worshiping, of studying, of teaching, of praying, of fellowship, of communion. There's no mention of any of those things happening. The other word that could be translated staying is the word sitting. Sitting. They were staying. They were sitting in a place together. So let's try that. Let's... Let's sit, and let's stay, and let's see what happens. I'm going to move away just a little bit. Let's see what happens as we sit and stay. Feedback. Feedback happens, and that's really about it. 
Not too much is happening. It'd be a pretty boring place to be. It'd be a pretty boring place to be. So far, the New Testament church, is it really all that exciting? Is it really all that attractive? But you know what? All of that is about to change. But let me tell you something. It may look like they were just sitting, that they were just staying. But you know what? They were doing something very important. Because Jesus told them in Luke 24, Luke 24, 49 says, Look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Stay in the city. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be staying. They were supposed to be sitting and waiting until they got power from on high. Jesus asked them to stay, so they stayed. They stayed, and they were being obedient. So as I said, the church, pretty boring up until this point. But again, all that changes here in verse 2. Let's, let's read verse 2. So suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind, probably more violent than what we have here right now, came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they, that's the tale of two days, right? The, the group of disciples, they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. From this point on, the church is entirely different. The whole makeup of the church is different. Can you imagine being there in that space? Can you imagine being in that room, in that house with them, when that actually happened? That would have been unbelievable. That would have been absolutely mind-blowing because there's no other time in Scripture that you can read about where this actually happens. There are other times in the New Testament, two other times where the Holy Spirit is manifest in, in different ways. Once when Jesus was conceived and once when Jesus was baptized. Okay, so they, the apostles would have seen when Jesus was baptized, right? They would have seen the Holy Spirit come as a dove and descend upon Jesus. And then there are two times in the Old Testament that we can look back and we can see, okay, there's kind of similar times when the tabernacle was dedicated and consecrated and when the temple was dedicated and consecrated. And the glory of God fell in each of those instances. And it was so powerful the glory of god was so powerful that people couldn't stand so maybe they were sitting maybe they were staying so those are the only other times that i can think about in all of the bible that even come close to this. But again, this is an entirely different scenario, an entirely different situation. This account in Scripture is absolutely entirely unique. 
No other time did the Holy Spirit come in this way. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and given power. All that were in attendance were filled with the Spirit and spoke in other languages. They were all given boldness to go out into the streets and to preach and to speak in these new languages that the Holy Spirit had given them. Every gift that God gives us is not for us, but is but for us to be used for other people. Every gift, whether it's natural or supernatural, is for us to use to bless others, to be used to build up the church. Every single one of our gifts is for others and to build up the church. So out in the street is where we come into this second group of these. And so let's, let's read about them, starting in verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together that was confused, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Here's verse 7. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed. And saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. This second group, this second group of these weren't in the house with the disciples. They were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, yes, but they weren't staying and waiting like the disciples were. They were there for the traditional celebration of Pentecost, and they were Jews from many other nations, as they, as they mention here in the text. Some of them would have been converts to Judaism, so they would have recognized, okay, I want to be a Jew, and so I'm going to be I'm going to convert to Judaism. And some of, them, some of them even accused the disciples of being drunk at nine in the morning. They were criticizing what God was doing. They were criticizing what God was doing. It's about this time of year that I get out my uh, motorbike and hit the streets. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my bike because it's a little unusual. Okay, so when I'm out riding and getting gas or uh, going to get a coffee and uh, just sitting for a while or even at an intersection and I've stopped, stopped long enough, people will point, people will, some people will laugh and some people will start talking to me, asking me questions, even at an intersection about my bike because it's, as I said, it's a little unusual. So it's, it's a mini bike. It's 125cc, which is about the tenth of the size of most bikes, <laughs> and it's, it's a, a naked-style sport bike, and, and I look pretty big on it, 
being over six feet tall, I, I look pretty big on it. It looks pretty silly. And so that garners some attention. So when I'm stopped, people ask me questions. And you know, most bikers, most real bikers, they come over with a smile on their face. They come up, they start asking me questions. They, they want to they wanna know more about the bike because they're legitimately interested. What the heck is this thing? It looks like a bike, but it doesn't look like a bike. And so they want to know more about it. Now, there are some people that come, some, some guys that come on bikes, and they start laughing at it, and they start poking fun at my bike. Why don't you get a real bike? And they think that, see, to them, the image of biking is more important than actually biking because I can experience the same freedom, the same joy of riding in that little mini bike that most real bikers end up owning a similar version of that at some point in their riding history. So the, the guys that really love riding and the freedom and the fun that is involved with actually riding, most of those guys loved the bike. Most of the guys that were just in it for the image, They're, they just wanted to make fun of me because they just thought I was just being silly. The some that joked about it were more concerned about their image as a tough biker than they were about just enjoying riding. So they criticized what they didn't understand. And that's exactly what some of the Jews here in Jerusalem did. They were criticizing what they didn't understand. To be drunk at 9 a.m., you either have to start drinking very early in the morning or you have to be still drinking actively very late into the night. So one commentary I read suggested that these, these, some of the Jews here, they were actually making fun of the disciples for being drunk at 9 a.m. That uh, one commentary suggested that actually that's what they were probably doing. Because why else would you think that would be a possibility unless it's something you have done or you are doing, right? And so I don't know what the actual Pentecost celebrations were for them, but we move on to, to Peter's sermon. Peter's first sermon, which is so cool. It's completely unrehearsed. His first sermon just off the cuff by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've always admired how Peter steps up and he just preaches this, this bold sermon. I mean, he's always pretty bold. If you look through the Gospels, you can see, yeah, this, this guy doesn't really mince his words. He's pretty quick to say what's on his mind, right? But, but I was amazed that, that without prep, without real study specifically for this situation, he goes up there and he just delivers this powerhouse of a sermon. Again, we aren't given how many numbers of people are, are out there, uh, outside, at the beginning of, G of Peter's sermon. But by the end, we know that there are thousands that are gathered. There are thousands of people around by the time Peter finishes his sermon. The baptism of the Holy Spirit completely changed the church then, and the empowerment that comes from on high, from the Holy Spirit, is with us still today. It's not just for then. It is for us today, just as much today as it was then. Did you notice that in verse 5, just take a quick peek at verse 5 if you have your Bibles there, it says that the Jews were staying in Jerusalem. 
They were staying there. And the disciples were staying in the house that they were in. But there's a huge difference between those two. Because it's a position not of how they're sitting or how they are externally, but it's a difference of position internally. It's a difference of how they were situated in their hearts. And I want to look at how they responded some 2,000 years ago when they were confronted with the truth of Jesus in Acts 2. Let's go to 37, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They were pierced to the heart. Sometimes you may find yourself on the outside looking in on the strange happenings of the church. If you find yourself there, I'd encourage you to listen up and to pursue the truths of the kingdom of God as they did in this account. Then they, ex they exchanged their thoughts. They actually changed their thoughts to line up with what God was doing instead of lining up what God was doing to fit their thoughts. Can I get the worship team to come back up as we finish, please? So I don't need to give you dozens of examples of the different ways in which this world is corrupt. We can look online. We can look, we can look around the city. We can look at different ways in which the world is corrupt. And this world is very corrupt, and maybe even more so than the generation that was spoken to when this was written. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. Apart from Jesus, we have no love. Apart from Jesus, we have no entrance into the kingdom of God, into heaven. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. And all that He has given to equip us with the power and the gifts from God in order for us to know Him and to make Him known. We need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here now, ministering to each and every one of us and piercing our hearts. This second group of these were radically changed and they joined in with that first group of these, with the disciples and the apostles. Peter's first sermon led 3,000 people to Jesus. 3,000 people turned from their ways and completely adopted the, the walk and the way of the, the disciples and the apostles. They didn't wait around for personal invitations or for their schedules to free up. Those 3,000 believers, all brand new to Christianity, sunk their teeth into the church as deeply as they could. They dove in with both feet. They didn't hold anything back. Sometimes you may find yourself in the church pursuing God and the kingdom of God, but being criticized by those that aren't part of what God's doing in the moment. Don't look at them and judge them. Judge them. I want to encourage you to be like Peter, to be bold. Preach your first sermon without any practice, without any study. Go for it. The Holy Spirit is in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and that gave Peter that sermon and the power and the ability to preach it now dwells in you. 
We weren't supposed to read Acts and to reminisce. We're to read Acts and to live in it too. That's a way of instruction for us, not just a historical book. Church, I want to warn you of those that, that aren't mentioned in this text. Who aren't mentioned here are those that stop responding as the Holy Spirit moves, as the Holy Spirit pierces their hearts. Those who are holding back from pursuing God. Those who stop obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, those disciples that were sitting and staying, they could have been lulled into inactivity. They could have been lulled into doing nothing. But they were waiting. And I hope that you're waiting today for a move of God. For the Holy Spirit to come. For God to be so active that you just can't wait to jump on board. Let's finish with reading Acts 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. We're going to close in a, in a worship song here. And I just want you to invite you to stay and to sit and to wait for God to move.
Do you hear God's call on your life? Do you feel the piercing in your heart? Do you feel the wind of the Spirit moving today? When we're confronted with the truth, when our hearts are pierced, may we respond as they did. Even though they didn't start off on the right foot. Even though they maybe even were critical of what God was doing at the start. Even though they didn't initially receive what God was doing. Even though they harassed the disciples for being drunk because they didn't understand what was happening. They were humble enough to recognize that they were wrong. They were humble enough to recognize, to ask for help. They were humble enough to make a complete life change. They saw the truth, they accepted it, and they walked it out. It's not too late to walk in the fullness of the truth that Christ died for and that the Holy Spirit gave us power to live in. But it's not simply enough to see it or to hear it. We need to accept it and walk it out. So whatever place you started at this morning, I pray you would respond as the apostles and the the disciples and those 3,000 people did by fully giving their life to Christ and for the sake of the kingdom of God. Devote yourself to teaching, to fellowship, to communion and prayer so that we can be used by God in supernatural ways to see people added to the church every day. It's for the glory of God that we meet. It's for the glory of God that we stay. It's for the glory of God that we serve and that we sit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that it is alive. We thank you, Lord God, for piercing our hearts, for giving us the Holy Spirit and giving us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so, Father, as we respond, as we sit on the word from today, may we be encouraged as we are empowered from the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if you're here today and you, you are hearing about Jesus for the first time, you're new to the whole church thing, maybe it's your, even your first service or first time coming to a church service, I want to tell you that it is starting on your journey with Jesus is easy. Simple as ABC, admitting that you're not perfect. Not a single one of us is. All of us have sinned. Every single one of us is imperfect. B is believe that Jesus came and lived and died as that perfect sacrifice for your sins. And then C is choose to follow him today and every day as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you want to do that right now, I'm going to lead you in a really simple prayer starting you in your walk with God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that even though I'm not perfect, you sent your son Jesus to be that perfect sacrifice for me. And so today I choose 
to accept that sacrifice of Jesus for me and for all my sins, past, present, and future. And I choose to live for you today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer, then I would love to meet with you. I'd love to talk with you and give you some resources to help you in this journey with Jesus. But I want to thank you so much for coming out today. And I want to remind you that next week we are going to be in-house where there's no wind, maybe the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit, but there's no wind that's going to be blowing the papers of the, of the worship team. But I want to invite you next week, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. I want to invite you at 9.30 online. And I, I want to just thank the Lord and just give Him all the glory today. So thank you so much for coming out. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful sunny day. And have yourself a great week. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this morning at Living Hope Community Church. If you love what we're doing and want to partner with us as a ministry, you can go to livinghope-ca.org backslash give and choose a giving option that works best for you. Or if God did something in your life and you want to, we want to know about it. So if you can send us a quick email at amen at livinghope-ca.org. Again, thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great week.